Jesus said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John eleven twenty six. That's a good word for today. And a wonderful song. It was great to hear everyone lifting their voices in praise. Because Jesus has risen and we don't have to die. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 7, verse 2. For our text this morning, a few weeks ago, I was reading this story in 2 Kings 6 and 7, and there was a phrase that jumped out at me, windows in heaven, 2 Kings 7, 2. I don't know what you think about when the term windows in heaven is mentioned, but it also is translated floodgates of heaven. And that made me think about floods and floodgates. Are floodgates a good thing? They can be a very good thing. That's, that's the intention of them. I remember about 12 years ago, we were at Brakes Interstate Park, which is on the, the border of Virginia and Kentucky. And we were looking way down in this uh, canyon, and we saw some little specks moving along what I guess was a creek. We couldn't really see water, but we saw some specks, and people told us, oh, those are whitewater rafts. It was a, a high-speed uh, whitewater rafting, grade four or five. I'm not sure it was the highest uh, score of whitewater rafting. And Normally, people couldn't whitewater raft on that stream, but there was a certain time or a couple times of the year that there were some floodgates open and water would rush down through this stream, and only certain people who were very skilled at whitewater rafting could, could raft along, and I'm sure they were happy for the floodgates opening up. But there's other times floodgates or, or water uh, windows opened up, and it wasn't good, like in Genesis where I found this phrase used, the windows of heaven were open, it was the first day of the flood, the fountains of the deep were open and water came out of the ground, but also water just dropped out of heaven and Noah and his family were safe in the ark. That, that was a bad time when the windows in heaven were open. In, 19, in 1889 in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, uh, there was a horrible opening of a flood gate. Uh, there was a dam 14 miles up the river from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And the dam broke, sending uh, an awful wave of water downstream. It killed over 2,000 people. And it was referred to by many as the Great Flood of 1889. The people downstream had warning that it might break, but they'd often heard warnings about that before. I guess this wasn't the best dam on the lake, and, but it, it, it broke. And well, in, in our story today, from Second Kings, windows of in heaven or windows of heaven. Uh, we'll find out whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. And we'll find out whether these windows really opened up or not. Second Kings 7, 2. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you have opened the windows of blessing from heaven and that you've poured out your love and your grace and your goodness and that today is still a day of salvation and a day of blessing. And we just pray that this story would come alive in our lives today. We could be encouraged. 
we could receive patience and comfort through the scripture today. We just thank you so much for Jesus that he rose from the dead to open the way to heaven for us. In his name we pray, amen. Now to get the whole story, we'll have to go back to chapter 6, 2 Kings 6, 24. There was a problem of a famine. So I'm going to read 2 Kings 6, 24 to 33 to get the setting for the, win the windows of heaven. We're in uh, a time of the kings, and we're actually in the northern kingdom. There was a southern kingdom of Judah. There was a northern kingdom of Israel. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Capital of the northern kingdom, Israel, was Samaria. So our setting is in Samaria. And the man of God, or the prophet of God, was Elisha, a very unusual uh, prophet. And he, he is uh, one of the characters in this story. The king, uh, there's two kings mentioned. One is Ben-Hadad, he's the king of Syria. He was an evil person. Uh, ben means sun, Hadad means storm or thunder. So he was a son of thunder or son of a, thorn, a storm. And he was out to get all the property and all the people and all the goods that he could. Jehoram was the king of Israel. The name Jehoram means God is high. Unfortunately, Jehoram most of the time was an evil king from what I could read. But Elisha was fixed on God and fixed on God's word and fixed on God's promises. And this officer who was leaning on the, the arm of Jehoram, maybe he was his bodyguard or his advisor, he, he said this, he asked this question, look if the Lord would make the windows in heaven open, could this thing be? What thing was he talking about? It was actually the word of the Lord that Elisha just spoke. Elisha said, tomorrow uh, something's going to happen at the marketplace, at the gate of the city. There's going to be a change in the economy. And it was so unbelievable that probably nobody but Elisha believed it. Because, as we'll read here in 2 Kings 6, there was a horrible famine. Babies were dying, old people were dying, animals were dying. It was a terrible time. Let's, let's read the story. 2 Kings 6, 24-33, there was a problem of a famine. Verse 24, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cob of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, my lord, O king. And the king answered, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And I imagine this lady continued to cry. She was beside herself. She was, un un with, she was showing uncontrolled grief, enough that the king continued talking to her. The king said to her, what is troubling you? She said, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. 
And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. And she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. The next verse, I believe, is Jehoram blaming Elisha for this, which is when there's bad, bad trouble, it's easy to blame others. And this was a bad, bad move on Jehoram's part to blame Elisha. Jehoram said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Meanwhile, in another part of the city, Elisha, verse 32, was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there, there was the messenger come down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I get the picture that the king was waiting on Elisha and trying to be patient and maybe not take things in his own hands. But when he heard about children being eaten for food, something snapped in his head and in his evil heart and he decided he was going to get rid of Elisha, somehow thinking that by getting rid of Elisha, this famine would be turned around. So confused, wasn't he? Even as the women were confused, who thought that they could prolong their life a little longer if they would eat their children. Things were really, really bad. I'm not sure in our currency how much 80 shekels of silver was because our, our economy kind of goes up and down. If you look in Bible dictionaries, some Bible dictionaries are from 50 or 100 years ago. A shekel, I'm just going to say, is a dollar. Um, it was kind of their, their measure of, 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 uh, of money. Anyway, the head of a donkey was selling for $80. The head of a donkey doesn't have much meat on it. And a donkey was an unclean animal. So basically, they were paying $80 for junk food. I mean, real junk food. We have some junk food that we kind of enjoy. Tastes good. But the head of a donkey in this time was just really junk food. And then there was $5 being spent for a nab of dove droppings. And the Bible dictionaries that I read describe this as different things. Nobody really seems to know what that was. It may have been some kind of root of some cheap vegetable root that they were gathering together in, into a nab or a container or a, a cab, cab of dove droppings. Maybe it actually was dove droppings that were used to, to, uh, for heating. Or maybe it was something else, but it was junk food, probably even worse than a donkey's head, that was being sold for high, high prices. And then we get to our text verses. So I tried to paint the picture of famine here. And our, uh, the next section is uh, the promise of food. You know, we, 
we have famine today in different ways, don't we? The worst famine of all is spiritual famine. But there's also financial famine, financial troubles, physical troubles, emotional troubles, relationship troubles, loneliness, conflict. There's external trials. There's internal trials and temptations. And I don't know what you see as your biggest trial or famine right now. What's the hardest thing you're facing or the hardest three or four things you're facing? But when we're facing trials, we have options, don't we? We have options to take things in our own hands. We have options to blame others, both of which are not good options. Or we have options to do what David did, as he describes it in Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he goes on and tells us in that psalm, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. And so we need to do what David did, what Elisha did, looked up to the Lord and said, Lord, I need help. This lady cried out, oh, help, help me, O oh Lord, my king. And the king didn't really give her that much help. He, he listened to her, and there's some help in listening, but he should have pointed her to God. In fact, he, he said, if God's not helping us, how do you expect me to help us? He had decided that God wasn't helping. He had decided that the windows in heaven were closed. And I think he and his bodyguard had decided that those windows weren't going to be open. But Elisha had a word from the Lord that basically said, tomorrow, by tomorrow, the windows in heaven are going to be open. Now, he didn't use those words. Let's, let's see exactly what he said. This is 2 Kings 7, 1. I'll read verse 1 through 8, and I've entitled this section, The Promise of Food. So we had the problem of famine, and now here comes the promise of food. And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, I'm not sure how much a seah is. Different Bible books uh, that I looked up said it was a peck or a little more than a peck or a peck and a third, and I'm not sure if peck is a a measure in your mind that means something, but I think it means a container of flour, probably five pounds of flour. Tomorrow this time, in the gate of the city at the city market, five pounds of flour is going to be sold for a dollar. Now, $80 was buying junk food today, but tomorrow, for one dollar, you can buy you a container of flour. That's the regular flour. And then the cheap flour, the, the barley flour, you can get two bags of that for a dollar. I don't think anybody listening to Elisha, even the elders that had faith in God, really thought that was possible. They probably thought he was hallucinating, talking out of his head. Maybe he was so starved and so thirsty he was talking funny. Because people do that when they get dehydrated. They have altered mental status. Or the more new um, medical term that's used is delirium. Elisha's delirious. 
Well, I imagine different people said different things, but God, through the Holy Spirit, recorded just this statement from the officer. Verse 2, So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha said, In fact, you you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now the story switches to four lepers. Now, there were four lepers men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here till we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. So they were saying, we have three choices. We could sit, keep sitting here apart from the other people out here in isolation because of the leprosy. We're going to die here because we've run out of food. Or we can go back in the city where the people are eating their children and all this other troubles. We will die there. Or we can go out to the Syrians and just maybe, maybe we'll live there. That seems to be the best option. And I wonder if these lepers were lepers of faith and maybe God somehow had sent a message to them like he did to the shepherds. That today there's good tidings of great joy. There's life, there's hope. I don't know if they heard Elisha or the rumor reached them that Elisha said there's going to be food tomorrow. I'm not sure, but somehow they got their courage up And that evening they went out to the camp of the Syrians, verse 5. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army, so that they said one to another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight. They left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. They came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. The promise of food. That's quite a promise. We have that promise today too, don't we? In uh, Romans 15, 4, there's a wonderful little verse that I read this week. It says, For whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So all these Old Testament stories are really given to us from God so that we could have encouragement and comfort and hope. And so I would say for us today, from Elisha, we should tune our ears toward heaven and hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is that heaven isn't lacking in anything. And that's really good news. Because our problems are very different and very varied. Some of us maybe need more bread, more flour. Some of us may need other things. But heaven is not lacking in anything. And so today, even though we have some lacks, we can be assured that God is in heaven. 
the windows up there are open and can be open. And so we can have hope through comfort and patience of the scripture. We can have hope. I heard a sermon on, on a CD last week by Adrian Rogers, and he was, I think this is how he said it. There are two days that can steal the joy out of today. There are two days that can steal the joy out of today. The one day is yesterday. Yesterday's guilt, yesterday's glory, yesterday's grudges, the things of yesterday can steal the joy out of today. And God doesn't want that to happen. The other day that can steal the joy out of today is tomorrow. Tomorrow's worries can steal the joy out of today. So today we need to hear the word of the Lord that heaven is full of blessings. There's no panic in heaven, only plans, Corey Ten Boom said. No panic in heaven, only plans. That's a good word for me because I seem to experience panic on a somewhat regular basis because my schedule's not working out or I can't find my wallet or I can't find my keys or I've locked my keys where, they're, uh, where I can't reach them. But there's no panic in heaven, only plans. Don't let the troubles of yesterday, the guilt, the glory, the grudges, steal the joy out of today. Don't let the worries of tomorrow steal the joy out of today. I have some advice for you, actually better than advice. This is the word of the Son of God, Jesus, Matthew 6. Therefore, Jesus said, take no thought, no anxious thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not your life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no anxious thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto today is the evil thereof. There's enough evil and trouble in today that we don't need to borrow tomorrow's trouble and bring it in today. And then our brother Paul in Philippians 4. We're talking about the promise of food. Philippians 4, some excerpts from that chapter. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, not that I speak in regard to need. He was sitting in prison writing this. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And a few verses later, he encourages them. 
my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, let's move on and finish the story. The third part of the story is the proclamation of freedom. And the lepers were the uh, messengers. They were the evangelists. They were the ones that got to pass on this good news that even though there was a horrible famine and there was nowhere to turn except to God, uh, there was a word from the Lord that food was available, food was coming, and they had the opportunity to pass it on. So in verse 9 of 2 Kings 7, the lepers said one to another, we are not doing right. They were going from tent to tent, just gathering this stuff and hiding it, I guess burying it. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out. And they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servant, Let me tell you what's going on here. The Syrians have done this to us. They know we're hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in a field, saying, When they come out of the city, we will catch them alive and get into the city. One of his servants answered and said, Please, Let several men take five of the remaining horses that are left in the city. Look, these horses may either become like all the other Israelites that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. Let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to Jordan, and indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he had leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Look now, now look, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven could such a thing be. And Elisha had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. I'm not sure what all lessons are in this story for you, but uh, some that have come through to me is that even though we live in a time of famine, And personally, we each may feel a lot of need and famine, yet there is food. There is the word of the Lord and there is the promise that he will meet our needs. And in Christ, we can have food. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And today is the day of good news. Today's the day to proclaim freedom, not only food, but freedom, because when the Syrian army was gone, these people were no longer locked in their place of death, but they could be turned loose to go out and garden and to work and to move around wherever they needed to. And in Christ, we can have freedom. Jesus said in John 8, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So I wrote six things here that I take as lessons. In summary, that God is love, God is able, God is true to his promises. Our promises, or our problems are actually God's opportunities. Jesus is our life. And this good news of Jesus is for all. He's available to everyone. And we have the opportunity to share that with others. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he bled and died and rose again so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you for this Old Testament story about the windows in heaven. We thank you that you're still up there and you have good things planned for us today and tomorrow. We pray that we would hear your word, you would increase our faith. Pray for anyone here that may be struggling. Lord, we are struggling in different ways. Maybe there's some people here that are struggling with the choice of whether they're going to answer the call of Jesus to come to him, to believe in him, to exercise that personal faith in him, that he died on the cross for their sins. We pray that you will give them the courage to do that today. And maybe there's other struggles, personal struggles, relationship problems. Whatever the struggle, we thank you that heaven has the answers. We just pray that we would each have the faith that we need to trust you, hear your word, and to wait patiently on your will. Help us not to take things into our own hands. Help us not to blame others. And help us not to blame you. Because you are a good God. And you love us. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.